1: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly
0: and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the preview edition of the first week of finals. A fantastic week on the football calendar. Two elimination finals, two qualifying finals, two teams to go straight through to a preliminary final and two teams to bite the dust for season 2021 massive stakes this podcast always proudly brought to you by parma play the punting advantage this footy season always remember to gamble responsibly and as i introduced this man my footyology podcast co-host and he's got a couple of people to thank too but before that mark fine Isn't this your favourite weekend of the footy season? Not one, not two, but four mouth-watering finals.
2: Absolutely. Obviously, as a fan of one of the teams in the AFL, I'd love them to be involved. But that does not take away from the excitement of four finals with the absolute sort of appetite wetter of last week's incredible final round. And you can just see that some of these games, hopefully all of them, are as equally pulsating and compelling to watch. Hey, we're in lockdown, mate. In Melbourne, New South Wales, of course, Victoria, the country of Victoria, still. There's a lot of people looking forward to a lot of good
0: footy this weekend. Well, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to uh, right now, even though it's early in the day, and it's a big, juicy hamburger. Can you point me in the right direction? I can. And you talk about first week of the finals, cream
2: rising to the top. Well, the cream of the crop in burgers is found at 144 Britport Street, Albert Park. I feel sorry if there's any other burger places in the finals coming up against this mob in the first week because if it's a knockout, (laughs) you've just been knocked out. Why? Because 81 years of experience, never betted, often imitated, but never equaled this mob <laughs> I'll tell you what, they're everything. They're, they're Melbourne Storm. They're the Melbourne Demons. They're top of the tree this season and every season. The mighty Andrews Hamburgers back them to win the flag. And I'll tell you what, when you're backing something in, how about the best house in the street? Would you like that? Does it sound good? Why not get a renovation to lift yours, to elevate it to that status? and I know the mob to go to, West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's in the team, no stone left unturned. And and that's not true because if your floor, you go for one of their stone floors, it will be unturned. And under it, heating rods to make sure that you are living in the lap of luxury, Rowan.
0: That sounds enticing. Uh, I'm also enticed by... Uh, informative, accurate statistics, finally And I'm always going to find them at Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. And that includes this season's English Premier League and where their futures model is currently assessing Watford as a 50.3% chance of being relegated. Always tough for those teams coming up from the championship Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections, which now have Melbourne as premiership favourite and who could win the first flag in 57 years in 24.9% of those simulations. Stats Insider, also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything's free to use on site, so check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a five on Twitter, at Stats Insider. All right, plenty of news happening, uh, plenty of uh, honours being dished out this time of year. Let's have a chat about that. On Footyology News feed. Well, the latest crop of uh, Australian Football Hall of Fame inductions have been announced. Um, We love this night, finally. Once upon a time in a former life, we used to broadcast the evening live and it was always a real highlight for both of us, but uh, it's always a great occasion and great to see some of the great names of past and some cases not too distant past recognised. A great chance to honour the legacies of people who we otherwise might not know that much about. And there's a bit of everything in this year's. Let's start off with the two men who have been elevated to official legend status. Now, one of them is Western Australian three-time Sandover medal winner, Merv McIntosh. Uh, The other, a South Australian football legend, Jack Oatey. Uh, both as a player and as a coach. Now, let's start with McIntosh, uh, arguably best known for a Simpson medal-winning performance in the 1955 grand final. Uh, Perth winning a two-point victory over East Fremantle after having trailed by 34 points at halftime. And I think that was Perth's first premiership for something like 47 years. So a uh, massive uh, massive achievement and uh, not a man that many Victorians know a lot about. Jack O'Ty. well, I've got come to know a bit about him through watching a bit of old South Australian football, but uh, hard to digest how much he achieved. Coached more than 500 wins across his coaching career for Norwood, West Adelaide and Sturt. Had the South Australian grand final best on ground medal named after him uh, that came uh, to be in 1981. Uh, it's probably as coach of Sturt, he's best remembered finding amazing, amazing achievement. The Double Blues winning five consecutive premierships between 1966 and 1970, and then OT taking them to another two flags in 1974 and 1976. Um, are you, well, I won't say you happy with those uh, elevations, but uh, it's great that. We Victorians, who are often accused of being a bit Victorian-centric, uh, get to know a bit more about the fantastic football histories of other state competitions. Do you agree? <laughs> you bet I do. I,
2: I think, you know, that much like yourself, uh, you've, oh, we both view football well beyond the boundaries of the AFL and um, these competitions for much of their existence, certainly prior to the AFL, uh, were rival competitions. And there were players who would have not only thrived, not only survived in the AFL, but thrived and been champions here. Who simply chose not to come because they were champions in almost equally as good a company. Merv McIntosh is one of those. Obviously, I go by the records. One thing I do see about him is he was big. He was a mighty big man. and. Sometimes that parlays into domination, but not often, not to the tune of three Sandover medals. Gee, must have cast a, a giant shadow in the Perth Football Club. Um, not really, in my time, one of the great powerhouses of WA football were when he was around. And I know South Australians, and I've spoken to South Australians many years ago on this topic, felt that Jack Odie could have easily been an inaugural legend of the AFL football hall of, of the Australian football hall of fame. Why not ten premierships as a coach, two as a player. Magnificent playing record, sort of um, interrupted by the Second World War. In that he certainly he was in Australia during that time, but the competition itself was very different. I think he played for a team called Norwood North or something, and then an absolute legend of coaching first with Norwood and, of course, then with Sturt. Unparalleled, Rowan. And do you feel that, I mean, it's great that he's been elevated, that he could have been put there
0: from the get-go? He really is another Jock McHale, isn't he? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, You look at the record, how can you ignore those credentials? So, uh, well, better late than never, I guess. Let's talk about the four inductees into the hall of fame and another really significant moment. The first woman uh, gaining induction into the hall of fame. A lot of people would say that's probably overdue as well. And it is Debbie Lee for so long, absolutely synonymous with women's football. She played more than 300 games. She was a five time VWFL competition, best and fairest winner, six time all Australian played 16 state games for Victoria, captain Victoria six times, uh, absolutely revered among uh, the fraternity in women's football and a very, very popular award, this one. Joining her in being inducted, some very big names indeed, none bigger than Chris Judd. And we all know about Chris Judd's incredible record with both West Coast and Carlton, a two-time Brownlow medal winner, a premiership captain, a Norm Smith medalist, um, a six-time All-Australian, a five-time Best and Fairest winner. Uh, another man who probably gets overlooked a bit, and um, that is because he played more football and uh, as good a football in another competition. I'm speaking of Rob Wiley, who played 179 games for Perth, 95 games to Richmond, including that famous 1980 Premiership win, Uh, went back and played in West Coast inaugural season in the then VFL. Part of three Premiership sides, eight best and fairest um, among those teams with which he played, two-time All-Australian for so long, Mick Malthouse's right-hand man and confidant and uh, a very universally respected football figure, uh, particularly in the West, Uh, And uh, this would have uh, run pretty popular with you, Finey, Nathan Burke, 323 games to St Kilda across 17 seasons, 11 games to Victoria, three-time Best and Fairest winner, a four-time All-Australian, captain of the Saints of five seasons and a part of St Kilda's Team of the Century. Uh, A little bit on each of those people, if you will. I'll
2: start with Nathan Burke and I guess I'm getting on a bit in years because I remember Nathan Burke, a sort of a a slender slip of a lad, schoolboy making his debut for the Saints, I think in number 49 from memory, then getting into the number 29 jumper and finally making his name as a skipper in the number three. Now, he trod the path, I guess, which was sort of, Um, A a known one of a a player with a storied career started off on a wing because he was a bit slight, then got into the crushes, played his most famous football as a rover. But then as his career headed into the 250 plus game zone, became a very dependable back pocket. And that was not uncommon for very good rovers, was it, to head to the back pocket? And he did it extremely well, courageous. And I'll say this about Berkey. Uh, St Kilda improved a great player in the last 15 minutes of important games. That's where champs really strut their stuff. Chris Judd, well, I think we all know how brilliant he is. Um, Brownlow's in two states with two teams and Carlton moved heaven and earth to get him. Wasn't the a premiership provider that they thought or hoped he would be, but he was still a great player after being that man at West Coast. I'm so glad Rob Wiley's in it, Rowan. Why? Because I thought he was a champ. We didn't see him in WA, but, gee, in a Richmond team that was blessed with many stars, he, if you watch some of those finals replays, actually uh, sort of um, transcended them at times when he had the ball things happened what a great player he was and finally Debbie Lee i have got to I'll tell you this remember the Save Our Saints committee and and uh, push back in um 80s to uh keep St Kilda afloat I do uh, I was part of uh, the fundraising committee and we had a game St Kilda versus Hawthorne past legends and some recently retired players Debbie Lee played in that game off a halfback flank. I remember everybody just shaking their head. She was a fantastic kick, physical, and because she was fitter and younger than many of the past VFL stars that she was playing against, was in the best three on the ground. What a great footballer. And, of course, instrumental in the early versions of what now we cherish as the AFLW, being the driving force behind those Footscray Melbourne games.
0: Well, congratulations to all the inductees and, uh, of course, the families of those no longer with us and some great speeches made too by uh, family members. Um, I loved hearing uh, what Merv McIntosh's daughter had to say. That was uh, really entertaining stuff. Well, the other big uh, honour being doled out this week and uh, a pretty short time between the naming of a squad and the naming of the team, which will be announced Thursday evening. We're recording this on Wednesday, of course, but uh, the 40-man All-Australian squad named, uh, obviously to be pruned down to 22. uh, Chock full of midfielders, as you'd expect. Um, some interesting names, some interesting omissions too, Finey. What were the headlines out of the All-Australian squad, do you think? Well, Melbourne, seven, is it? I'm pretty sure it's seven nominations. It is seven, it's, yep.
2: That, I think that's another sort of um, fillip for them heading into the finals. Confirmation that they're not just a a team that's played well this year, they're a team bristling with star players and well done to them. Max Gorn, I think will rest the uh, number one rucking uh, responsibilities off all comers. He's had a great season. You know who I love in that squad? Paul Seedsman. Now I hope they pick a wingman for a wingman, you know, for the right reasons. And uh, you know what that means, Rowan, that, a very unlikely Adelaide player in Paul Seedsman will be in that team.
0: Well, uh, yeah, whether we have specialist wingman or not always seems to be the annual uh, talking point or controversial part of the the team now. So uh, hopefully that solves that one. I guess uh, in terms of omissions, uh, Travis Boak not being in that squad certainly raised some eyebrows. I did see a suggestion that Port Adelaide hadn't nominated him as uh, part of that squad to be considered. So that's interesting. Uh, Melbourne have seven players in it. Brisbane has five players in that squad. 21 players nominated for a first-ever All-Australian gong. So uh, it shows how quickly the game changes. And seven players from last year's All-Australian team nominating as, nominated as potential selections this year. And they were Marcus Pondimpelli, Max Gorn, Tom Hawkins, Jack McCrae, Nick Natnui, Christian Petrarca and Jack Steele. Lance Franklin might have been a bit lucky to get a, a nomination this year. He could receive his ninth All-Australian Blazer later this week, and, which would make him the only person, finally to win nine of them.
2: Yeah, I would be shocked if he made the team. I think it's... Uh... Sort of a respectful bow to a, a, a great comeback season, given how little football he's played that he's nominated. But yeah, that raised my eyebrows as well. And just one final uh, look at that squad. And won't Tuke Miller, who surely makes the 22,
0: be a great story when he is known to He will be, absolutely. I was asked to do a most uh, improved list a couple of days ago for ESPN and uh, he was almost first or second person I thought of because uh, it's pretty good last year, but he has just gone to another level again this year. So uh, all Australian side to be announced Thursday evening. Let's just finish off the news finally with uh, what is turning into a bit of a saga and that is surrounding – Carlton coach David Teague and uh, there was certainly widespread expectation that he would be pretty much given the chop the moment the blue season ended but not the case of course the uh, much discussed review now being considered by the Carlton board and hierarchy and uh, looks like they're trying to engineer it so they can announce the findings of the review in conjunction with naming a new coach uh, so a temporary reprieve for David Teague, who I think's made it pretty clear. He doesn't expect to continue. He's been fairly pointed in a few uh, returns of serve to the cult admin. And I think we both agree fair enough too. someone else who appears to agree with that, they uh, uh another Australian football certified legend, Lee Matthews. Now when Lee Matthews says something uh, pretty pointed, you listen and, He hasn't been a lot more pointed in recent times than what he was on the subject of David Teague on Monday night. Uh, His comment was that whoever is running Carlton has got no idea how to run a football club. Uh, Clearly thinks David Teague has been treated very poorly, uh, telling him to make sure he doesn't resign and waits to be sacked so he can get the payout he deserves. Of course, with one year remaining on that deal but uh, just to quote Lee Matthews he said you wonder who's running the footy club at Carlton I must say from the outside whoever's running that football club has got no idea how to run a football club I reckon it's the people at the top of that club that are the problem somehow or other that is just not working sometimes when boards overplay their roles and what's going on in the footy department that's when the club's in trouble The board has to appoint a CEO usually, but the board might be involved in appointing the football manager and the senior coach. And those three people run the footy club and let the board back out. So very strong comments from Lee Matthews. uh, uh, Have we gone back to the bad old days of Carlton in terms of the board flexing its muscle just a little too much?
2: I don't think we ever left those bad old bad old days. I, I don't think it's a board that its muscles. It's been accused of being a a puppet government for a long time now. The sort of um, uh, play the the front the front men for the likes of Bruce Matheson and members of the Pratt family, and we've got another young man in charge there. But this David Teague saga has. It's Bush League, and you're right. Lee Matthews is not a headline grabber. He doesn't need uh, to get clicks for any organisation that he's working for or ratings. And he rarely, at this stage of his football life, and he still has a football life, partakes in um, negative criticism, you know, criticism or, or, or negative talk about football clubs or individuals but he, I, th- I think he feels, as a past coach, almost compelled to tell the truth here. This has been appalling by Carlton to think that on Monday they were going to make a decision and it seemed as though David Teague had been reprieved only from Carlton to announce that, Oh, we've just done away with Monday meetings for the time being. I mean, what are they? Are they are they cowardly? Are they scared of the reaction? Are they hanging around, hoping that Alistair Clarkson can be convinced? I, I am... I tell you what, I don't know what Collingwood did to Ross Lyon for him to put a line through them and consider Carlton a better choice. Is it money or um, did somebody at Collingwood run over the Lyon family dog? Because if they're better than, if Carlton is a better proposition than Collingwood, the way this has been handled, I'll
0: be the monkey's proverbial uncle, mate. Yes, well, uh, interesting times again for the Blues. Uh, they might have one bit of good news, though. Uh, that is because young Fremantle star Adam Chera has requested a trade home to Victoria and uh, obviously being linked to Carlton. I haven't heard him linked to any other club, to be honest, which is quite unusual. So uh, the Blues uh, coach, whoever it is, might have a bit more talent to work with there. very quick one on chair finding where that was, Fremantle. Well, he's he's uh, said that for personal reasons he's
2: um, requested to trade back to Victoria. I guess your bank balance is a personal reason, isn't it, Ron?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, they're, um, they're certainly not too shy in seeking to return to uh, home pastures these days, that's for sure. All right, that's enough news for this week. We have got four massive finals to preview and we're going to preview them properly and in some depth. So let's get stuck right into them. On Footyology wrap around. The finals action kicks off on Friday evening at Adelaide Oval with the second qualifying final. That is between second and third on the ladder. Adelaide Oval. 7.50pm Eastern Standard Time, 7.20pm local time, Port, Adelaide and Geelong. In actual fact, a repeat of one of the qualifying finals from last year, hopefully for the Cats, not a similar result because Port Adelaide won that pretty well in the finish. Uh, The odds for all the games are interesting this week, particularly interesting for this one, though. Palmer bet, have Port Adelaide, the favourite, on their home deck. They are paying $1.71 head-to-head for the victory. And the Cats, $2.15. Stats Insider tell us on this game, a couple of major concerns for Geelong, especially regarding the absence of Tom Stewart and the effect that's having on its defence and overall game style. Last week against Melbourne, the Cats gave up 56 inside 50s which is their third worst return of a season, while they lost the total disposal count for just the fourth time all year. Unfortunately for Geelong, Port are taking a league-best six-game winning streak into the finals, and their midfield has been mauling opponents lately. They've enjoyed, on average, an extra 50 disposals more than opponents over the last four weeks, as well as an extra 12 inside 50s per game in that same time frame. Needless to say, this is sure to put the Geelong rearguard under a heap of pressure. Yep, no doubt the Tom Stewart injury and loss has been huge for the Cats. Uh, they must be considering a little bit at selection, finey, given uh, that shock loss after building up such a lead against Melbourne last week. And what about the power going strong? What changes have they got in mind?
2: Well, well let's start with the home team the power and they'd be looking to make as few changes as possible, finishing the season particularly strongly and having that great last gasp win over the Bulldogs. The big query is over Georgiades, who pulled up better than expected and has not been ruled out as yet. Orazio Fantasia, an outside chance to be available, but I doubt they roll the dice on that one. They're well stocked for small to mid-sized forwards, and they wouldn't want to take the risk of him breaking down during the game. So the watch is Georgiitis. The initial thoughts straight after the game against the Doggies was no chance. Well, he definitely is a chance. As for the Cats, they've got three players on the injury list, Rowan, that are certainly in their best 22. Uh, Tom Stewart will not reappear this season. He's on crutches. They haven't ruled him out altogether, for a late, late, late show, but certainly not in the first week of the finals. The second man is Zach Tui. He's right to come back, and he'll certainly be part of the team that heads over to South Australia to take on Port Adelaide. And the third player, Mitch Duncan, who they were very hopeful to have ready for week one of the finals, has been slow in his recovery and unlikely to play. So Zach Tui, the only real addition to the team that did get run over by Melbourne, but they're probably going to accentuate the positives, Rowan, and look at how they got that far up rather than dwell on the comeback. And I guess that will save a few skins in the Cats' lineup. And as I said,
0: Port Adelaide are hoping for no change and they wait on Mitch Georgiades. Well, I've found this game so difficult to tip. These sides, in many respects, very evenly matched. They're both... Scoring around the same mark, they're both conceding around the same mark. So Port uh, sixth for points scored, the Cats seventh. Points conceded, Geelong ended up with the second best defensive record of this season, Port Adelaide the third. Uh, The Cats, we talk about how well they control the tempo of a game. That is underlined in the uncontested possession differentials. Uh, This is really significant, I think. The Cats are a clear number one. So far, number one, they are more than double the possession differential of the second-ranked team. They really know how to control the flow of a game. They're also ranked number one for contested possession. But Port are solid in both those areas as well, ranked fourth, respectively, in each of those. Um, The other thing I've been thinking about with this one, of course, is the first meeting this year. At the same venue, Um, it was a typical Geelong win, very efficient. They controlled the flow of this game, ended up winning it pretty well. Now, finally, we've had this big doubt about Port all year, consistently put away the teams below them, haven't been able to beat those above them. And that's why I think last week's win over Western Bulldogs, obviously critical in getting them top two. But just psychologically, I reckon that would have counted for so much. Their midfield is in ridiculously good form. Boak, Wines, Robbie Gray getting a job done up forward. And I think a big factor for them recently has been Ruckman Scott Lysette too. And that is perhaps one area where Port, uh, Port can most exploit Geelong. Geelong has had some real ruck issues this season. That said, I've just got a lot of faith in the Cats. And that last thing you said there really stuck with me. And that's about accentuating the positive The fact is that whilst they did concede a 44-point lead last week, they controlled much of that game. And uh, that's something I'm sticking with with regards to this one. How are you seeing it panning out? First
2: of all, how interesting is that Port Adelaide forward line? When I say interesting, Dixon was poor last week. They still won. Laddham stood up in the third quarter. Dixon, for a player that was marking so confidently for the first part of the season, seemed bereft of confidence. And even though there were no fans at the ground, you could almost hear the Bronx cheer that would have rung out when he did finally take one on the wing about 25 minutes into the last quarter. It was sort of a shock that he held it. Things can turn around quickly, though. He only needs to sort of grab one, one good mark early in the game, might set him on his way. And big, tall forwards can be problematic for the Cats. We know that. We've seen it in recent weeks, haven't we? Uh, From the Mark to Max Gord to to Max King's domination in the first quarter against the Cats. I'm a little worried that this is a very similar Geelong scenario to last season where they were so brilliant in the middle part of the year, but by the end of the season, the cracks were beginning to appear. Is that because they've got an older list? Maybe. I'm not as bullish about as long as I was a month ago, mainly because of Tom Stewart. And I'm more bullish about Port Adelaide, mainly because of what you said, is that in four midfield, you can't see boken Wines going any worse than they did against the Doggies. And they were brilliant, Rowan. I think they can win it from there. That's where I think Port Adelaide get the game on their terms and take this first final. That being said... In my mind's eye, I see one of those Port Adelaide versus top team Dower struggles at Adelaide Oval that is full of hard-won ball. Not so much keepings off by the Cats, but a really tight game going Port Adelaide's way.
0: I see it, pendulum swings, seven points in their favour. Well, previewing this game, I still don't know which way to go here, to be honest. I, I think logic does suggest Port Adelaide but there's something about the Cats. I think this is their best shot at it. Uh, I'm trying to focus on the extent uh, to which they controlled that game last week. And beyond that result, their form has been very, very solid. They got their way to a grand final last year after losing a qualifying final. I'm not sure they can do that this time. And that's what makes winning this one so important. I think they can get the job done, even away. I like the way they won that first meeting against Port Adelaide. I think they're very good at controlling the flow of a game and I think they can bend Port Adelaide to their will to a certain extent. So I'm going for the Cats, not by much at all. I'm going for Geelong by 12 points. That's the Friday night final and we've got two big finals on Saturday. The second elimination final, and by that I mean the name of the final, not the order in which it is played, is in Launceston, 3.20pm Saturday afternoon, and it is the Battle of the Bridge with final stakes attached. In fact, the second time, the third time, these two teams will play in a final. Sydney taking on GWS. And for this one, Palmabet has the Swans, uh, well... In the context of the other finals, Warmish favourites paying $1.61 and GWS head-to-head with Palmerbet Bet uh, paying $2.33. What do Stats Insider say about this one? Well, thanks to the COVID situation in New South Wales, these two have combined to play an astonishing 31 interstate matches this season. So it's perhaps fitting they'll butt heads in Tasmania's first ever final. While the Giants are just the second team since 2010 to enter the postseason with a sub-100 percentage, few would deny how deserved their place is, dwarfing the league this season where total 1% acts are concerned, while ranking fourth for total clearances. Sydney have the league's third best attack and have generated the third most inside 50s this season. Interestingly, on that front, the Giants conceded the sixth most inside 50s in the league this year. So there are two opposing stats which may come into play. Uh, Selection finding, we saw the Swans get Buddy Franklin last week and he made a big difference. Uh, What are the Giants and the Swans considering in terms of ins and are there any outs to ponder?
2: Well, the big... One at Swans is Callum Mills with that Achilles problem. Uh, they got him over the line on the field for around 23, but he didn't last. Did they jab him up and hope that they get a better return? I think they probably will because he's such an important player, and it's all going to be about management of that injury. But I reckon they roll the dice there. Kennedy is the big query. Is he in a race against time to be fit? That hamstring. Uh, tightness is more than that obviously and uh, his chance to miss again that would leave a hole in their midfield no question about it so it might be no change but they wanted the change of Kennedy in the Giants well they've got plenty to choose from actually they're in a sort of enviable position I think that Canilio misses out you know my stance on Stephen Canilio. I don't think he's the best fit for the team and I think that the coach would be loath to take the captaincy off Green, who is such a great leader and inspires others. Which way do they go in the ruck? They had Proust an emergency last week. Oh, they can't play him, surely, in this one for his first game of the season. I think they go with the tried and tested tester, Mummy. And boy, just think about it. It could be his last game against his old team. If the Giants are down in the last quarter, they wouldn't want to be a swan at the bottom of the pack with him rolling
0: in. That would be a good watch, right? Well, the, uh, the stats on this one are really interesting, I reckon, because um, both sides have strengths where the other side has, I wouldn't say comparative weakness, but certainly not as strong. The Giants are great at ball compared to the Swans, who rank 11th in that stat. The Giants are 6th. The Swans much better on the outside. I think they're a better running team. They are second in the comp for uncontested possession differential this year. The Giants seventh. And the Swans, as Stats Insider told us at the uh, top of this preview, they certainly generate plenty of scores and scoring opportunities. They are ranked fifth for inside 50s. The Giants only 12th. So uh, doing pretty well with the entries they generate, the Giants, And in terms of points scored, the Swans ranking third. That is a massive turnaround from the the Sydney we've come to know over so many years. Of course, famously, when they won their flag in 2005, they ranked only 12th for points scored. GWS are ranking eighth for points scored this season. Uh, They've had two meetings this season and the scorelines won all. Both really interesting results. And the first one early in the season at the SCG I felt like the Giants just about pinched that. It was a game the Swans had in control until literally the last five or so minutes. Toby Green decisive in that finish and the Giants sneaking over the line. And the second one, well, the Giants absolutely bolted out of the blocks there and got to uh, about a six-goal lead. Uh, And the Swans just turned that around the second half magnificently, uh, winning in the end, pulling away. So, um, both games, perhaps, could have been won by the side, which ended up losing them. So the scorelines won all. Uh, I see Buddy as being huge in this game. He looked ominous last week in that six-goal haul against the Suns. Granted, the opposition was less than uh, stratospheric. I, I like the way the veterans and the young guys are gelling for Sydney. I think um, we're seeing the young guys really start to assert themselves more as the season gets Towards the end, uh, I think the likes of Justin McInerney, Errol Gould and Sam Wicks, they're all becoming really consistent players. But the older guys are really stepping up too. Buddy, I mentioned, Luke Parker, Jake Lloyd, just so consistent. And, of course, Tom Hickey in the ruck. So you mentioned Shane Mumford, Finey. Hickey and Mumford, uh, that would be a real clash of old warriors and I think pretty pivotal on the result. I think most importantly for the Giants is Toby Green, no longer really carrying the weight of that side on his shoulders. And uh, their midfield is really in good form too. Ward, Taranto and Kelly all been incredibly consistent in recent weeks. How do you see it uh, playing out?
2: Well, I really feel as though these two teams that as you pointed out, have had similar experiences having to set up out of state have had very different ends to the year GWS to me, Far more impressive, far more uh, not just settled, but um, happy with the lineup that they're going to take in to this game. With the Swans rushing to get Kennedy back, losing Blakey a couple of weeks ago, and maybe rolling the dice with Mills. The forward line also isn't what they planned. They, I think, planned for Sam Reed to be the foil up there, but his return wasn't successful. And they switched back to Hayden McLean, who kicked a couple last week and I think holds his spot. As far as GWS are concerned, I think they've got kryptonite to Superman. And interestingly, Sam Taylor grew up a huge Hawthorne fan and said that he absolutely adored Buddy. So he's really looking forward to playing on him. And I don't think that there at the moment is a better intercept mark or competitive backman in the competition. So you take Buddy out of the equation, you realise that Green's going well, so is Himmelberg up front, and there are other avenues to goal, and I think GWS has the firepower to win this one. In fact, I'm pretty confident that they will win it with the midfield ticking over beautifully, Taranto, Hopper, Kelly... Boy, oh boy, there's some silk there. And I give them the game by 17 points.
0: Well, I differ on this one too. I think the Swans have been, uh, by some measure, the more consistent of these sides. I thought, yeah, they were only playing the Suns, but they certainly got their mojo back. And uh, I don't think they had much of a mojo to get back. I think there's been a little bit of overreaction to one poor game against St Kilda. They've actually won seven of their last eight. So their four lines is as consistent as anyone's, if not more so. Uh, The Giants, in contrast, look, they've been terrific in the last five or six weeks, but they did really struggle to put Carlton away last week. Is that important to another downturn in a performance graph that has been up and down across the season quite a bit? Hopefully not for them. Look, it's going to be tight. I think this one's going to be really close, but I've shown a lot of faith in Sydney all year. As you know, I tipped them to make the eight. I think they've shown they're good enough to uh, certainly challenge or beat the sides above them and certainly the sides around them. I think that deserves my tip at the very least. I'm going for Sydney to win a thriller by six points. So that is Saturday afternoon. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Ah. Saturday evening at Adelaide Oval sees the first qualifying final being played on neutral turf between Melbourne and Brisbane. First time these two teams have met in an AFL final. 7.30pm Eastern time, the kick-off. That will be 7pm in Adelaide for the locals. Uh, Palmerbet have the Demons rightly Favourite for this game, given they finished on top of the ladder, their first minor premiership, of course since 1964. Melbourne paying $1.68 on the Palmer bet head-to-heads. Brisbane paying $2.20. Stats Insider say that this is the league's very best defence, matched up against easily the league's best offence in the first finals clash between those two sides. This season... The Lions have won nine games by at least 42 points, which was the most in the AFL, while Melbourne's four total losses came by an average of just 12 points, worth remembering when we talk about Melbourne's uh, alleged slump a little while back. Another note on how monstrous Melbourne was in the home and away season, the Demons won all four of their matches against top four opponents this year. Over the last 11 years... Only Geelong in 2013 and West Coast in 2018 went undefeated against the top four during the season. That is pretty significant. Uh, Injury-wise, selection-wise, Viney, what have both the Demons and the Lions got to ponder?
2: Well, even though the Lions had that huge game against West Coast to make the top four last week, they were conservative at selection, And uh, there's no problem, though, this week with Harris Andrews and Mitch Robinson. Um, They're both Mitch Robinson back in the team. No problems there. He's right to go. And Harris Andrews, a little bit sore. He'll be right to go as well. So, of course, no Eric Hipwood. But otherwise, they're in pretty good nick. And Melbourne are in great nick. The only starting 22 player, other than Adam Tomlinson, who, of course, did his knee earlier in the year, is Jaden Hunt they will probably not play him so satisfied they would be with the win over Geelong. That would be a risk given that they've got a finals campaign and his hamstring might stand up to it. They reckon he's pretty close, but why risk it when there's a bigger fish to fry potentially and a double chance anyhow? So they go into that. This game, I believe, with the team that did the club right and really set them on the way to a possible flag by winning each along.
0: Don't touch this as MC Hammer said. Well, it really is fascinating the matchup of uh, Melbourne back line against Brisbane forward line, isn't it? Gee, Brisbane, uh, you know, in that little period where they were losing and we looked at the absence of Hipwood and thought that could be the fatal blow. Well, Joe Danaher got to give him credit. He has really stepped up to the plate and uh, Charlie Cameron, Rediscovering his goal kicking power too. Uh, Melbourne finished fifth for points scored. So, not too shabby for a side we were worried about their forward setup. And uh, the lines, as you heard, clear number one. The Lions aren't too shabby defensively themselves. They rank fifth. So, the points uh, for and against are both uh, a mirror image of each other. Another good match there. They both generate plenty of scoring opportunities. Melbourne ranks second for inside 50s. Brisbane first on that score. And in terms of efficiency, once inside 50, scores per inside 50, Brisbane, boy, have they cleaned up their act. Uh, Their inaccuracy and and, uh, failure to convert chances was so costly in a couple of finals campaigns. Well, this year it's been a massive strength. They rank second in the AFL for scores per inside 50. The Demons are sixth. Well... I don't know. I think about this game. I think about the venue and that to me seems quite pivotal. Now, Brisbane have lost seven games this year, finally. Six of those losses have been away from the Gabba. And that even includes a couple of Carrara just down the road from their own backyard. So, you know, there's no doubt their less impressive performances have tended to be away from home. Um, The other thing you've got to remember with this is the previous meeting, which Melbourne, uh, well, they really showed their mettle in that previous clash. They uh, came from behind, uh, looking pretty sick, in fact, at half-time to run right over the top of Brisbane. And uh, that was a really impressive performance. And that evening, Christian Petraka and Clayton Oliver, who, of course, are pivotal to that side, They just ran amok in the second half. And that's something that has really stuck in my head. Um, Yeah, I'm finding it hard to lean away from the side which topped the ladder in this case, but interested in how you think this one's going to play out. Given we've both tipped differently in two finals thus far. Yeah, really interesting game for mine. Melbourne have not answered
2: critics, but maybe answered the lingering doubts that they themselves would have for their bona fides heading into the finals by claiming top spot, beating Geelong on their own dung heap. They've really passed that test and therefore the season home and away test with flying colours and with a lineup that makes sense. The back line makes sense because May and Lever are a great combination of intercept mark and uh, denying spoilers. At the drop of the ball in the back line, that has been... Pretty well sorted as well. Christian Salem is a good footballer and they get good work back there by a hard working midfield and the likes of Rivers and Jordan who get back and make sure that it's not easy for the drop of the ball players. The midfield is brilliant. I mean, they've got two of the three, two, two of the, maybe the three. Top picks for the Brownlow. Oliver and Petrarca might cost themselves a Brownlow, but they're a darn good combination. And Max Gords in career best form. And the forward line with Brown as a a mobile target. Jackson, another tall man. Bailey Freaks in absolute ripping form and dead-eye-dicking it. Cosi Pickett kicked three goals last week. That didn't go unnoticed in this quarter. I think he's ready to be an omnipresent danger. So they tick all the boxes. Brisbane, the main thing they've got going for them is this, this late-season, uh, almost lotto win that saw them grab the double chance. Yeah, they did well themselves, but they relied on Port Adelaide to beat the Doggies and the Doggies stumble in the last couple of weeks. They've grabbed that opportunity. That could really open their eyes to the possibilities. But I just don't feel, Rowan, that that team, and particularly for mine, the midfield can compete with what Melbourne have to offer. They're genuine premiership favourites for mine now, Melbourne. And they franked that last week. It impressed me. And I think it carries them to a victory here by 21
0: points. All right, well, this is one on which we agree. I think uh, the the biggest doubt about Melbourne, I think they've worked really hard to rectify over the last month. That is up forward. They are kicking better scores. Uh, Ben Brown, I think, has proved just in the nick of time to be a really valuable pickup for them. I think back to that last win over Brisbane. Now, that evening, Tom McDonald was terrific with three goals. Cozzie Pickett was a big factor in this game. And uh, he was a big factor last week too. So he's starting to rediscover that form he showed at the start of the season. Now Melbourne able to kick a winning score over Brisbane without Brown being part of the equation. He's now part of that mix. And Bailey Fritch, let's not forget him. Boy, you're talking about a bloke who had his career best performance last week. So he's in ridiculously good touch. I think they've got a forward line potent enough to kick a winning score, and we know how good their defence is. I think they're good enough to keep Brisbane's forward set up in check, and I think their midfield, uh, mainly due to Oliver and Petrarca, will win the points there. That has to add up to a victory, particularly when you throw in the venue factor. So I'm also going for the Demons in this one. Uh, Like all those games, I don't think it'll be a massive win, but I'm going for Melbourne to win by 20 points. That is three finals done with one to be played on the Sunday. And what a cracker it should be. Ah. The second elimination final on Sunday afternoon in Launceston again, 3.20pm is between fifth place Western Bulldogs and eighth place Essendon. Mm -hmm. The Bombers getting into the finals last week after downing Collingwood. Uh, Palmer are installing the Bulldogs as reasonably warm favourites, again, relative to these other finals. The Bulldogs paying $1.55 for the win on the head-to-heads. Essendon, you can get $2.47 on the Bombers. Stats Insider, well, they say the last time the Dogs and Essendon met in a final was all the way back in 1953, and that was a game Footscray won by eight points. For one of these teams, an unwanted drought will continue. For Essendon, it'll be their famous 17-year streak without a finals win. For the Dogs, it'll be three straight finals losses, having not won a single postseason match since the famous 2016 grand final win. Offensively, the Dogs have absolutely crashed in recent weeks. They've exceeded 90 points just once in their last seven games. Having done so ten times throughout their first fifteen, this contributed to them becoming the first team in history to ever hold top spot after round twenty, yet fail to make the top four. And speaking of offense, Essendon will be taking the league's fourth best attack into the finals, having ranked just fourteenth in that same area last season. So, one of just a number of. Uh, areas, the Bombers have really made a big improvement in 2021. Selection finding, I know the Bombers have got a few things to consider. So presumably, given three losses on the trot, do the Doggies.
2: Well, the Doggies certainly do. No, crazier. he's got a head knock, can't play. Uh, Richards has a shoulder injury, won't play. The big one, though, is the Ruck. The conundrum. In fact, uh, Luke Beveridge has used the public space of press conferences in the last couple of weeks to ponder that question and almost have a uh, discussion with himself. On one hand, he says, yes, Stefan Martin, we need him back in the team, but then he quickly counters that by saying a huge risk to bring somebody back who hasn't played for uh, two or three months and not match fit saying that he would look stupid if Stephen Martin couldn't run out the game and became a liability in the second half. That being said, they've got to play him, don't they? I feel as though the coach has lost faith in English as a commanding ruckman uh, under the excuse of needing another tall forward. That's where he propped him for three quarters last week. But when he moved him out of the forward line, it wasn't into the ruck where they were being shredded by Scott Lysette. It was actually a kick behind the play. The responsibility fell to Lewis Young. He might make way for Stephen Martin. Now, the Bombers, they could pull one of these classic finals shocks, the likes of which we see occasionally. I'm not talking about a debutante. That's always exciting. But a player who is just forgotten, but a very important recruit at the start of the year for the Bombers – And through the preseason, and maybe just for a game, looked like everything that Essendon wanted him to be. Have a guess who's fit, Jai Caldwell. That would be a shock. Langford would not be a shock. And either would the dropping of Dylan Shield. Is Ben Rutten gutsy enough to do that? Or does a Dylan Clark miss out? I reckon Clark plays, because there's plenty of jobs for a lockdown midfielder to do. Especially with Bontempelli being less in the last couple of weeks. For having a run with player go against him. Interesting machinations. Does McDonald, Tip, and Woody play? Probably not. And Cutler holds his spot. That would have be been a shock to most Bomber supporters about six weeks ago. So much to play out, but there could be some headlines down at Bomberland.
0: Yeah, well, they're all really valid points. I think Cutler does hold his spot. I think the last couple of weeks, uh, he seems to have found a niche across half back, and his long kicking has, has been really useful. Personally, I wouldn't be taking the punt on Caldwell. I just think it's too long out. I I agree with you on Sheil. I thought he was, he has been really disappointing since he came back. Um, And I think Dylan Clark would be really unlucky to get the chop because he's been pretty reasonable. I suspect that's going to happen though. Uh, I'm sort of thinking there might just be one change and it's Langford in for Clark. But uh, Caldwell, well, that certainly would be one out of left field. I guess the other significant factor with this game is uh, the clash of these two just a fortnight back. Um, Did the Bulldogs learn something out of that that enables them to plan better for the Bombers this time? Did that victory give the Bombers the requisite confidence they needed against sides that are higher on the ladder? Because that had been a bit of a problem area for them. And I think the ruck is absolutely critical. We've got two young, promising Ruckman, but one of them is in form, and that's Sam Draper. He's been really good the last few weeks, and one of them isn't. And that is English, who got absolutely monstered in terms of hit-out numbers last week against Port Adelaide. Scott, I said, I think the breakdown there was something like 51-17. to 17. Uh, Interestingly, too, Fine, the rankings don't necessarily reflect how these teams are at the moment. The Bulldogs are a far more accomplished team across the season in terms of contested ball. Differential, they rank third there, Essendon only 13th. Clearances, the Doggies rank number one, Essendon only ninth. And funnily enough, given their recent scoring woes, the Dogs have been pretty efficient too. They rank number one in the comp for scores per inside 50. Essendon not too shabby in that regard either though, fourth. In terms of points scored total, the Bulldogs second. Eastern and fourth, but they're all rankings that I think would be dramatically different if just measured across the past month because the Bruce loss has, I think, hit the Bulldogs pretty hard. How do you think this one's going to go, Fanny? What an interesting game this is. As we head towards
2: this final final in the first week, leading up to the game, much of the talk, and I imagine much of the... uh, analysis the pre-game prognostications will centre around Essendon being in form and really finding their best selves at the end of the home and away season and the Bulldogs being the polar opposite but you know only too well as a a supporter of one of these clubs let alone a sage football mind that once that siren goes to start the game it's a pretty much a clean slate in a final form coming into it lack of form That goes out the window as both teams will be ferocious from the get-go and they'll set themselves the agenda in the game. So who can win, given, I believe, that form leading up to it won't be a major factor? I think the Bombers, and why do I think that? Because the Bulldogs and Coach Luke Beveridge are in a position that they would not want to have been in and not look like they were going to be in for much of the season. No, Bruce, and they haven't worked out how to serve, how to move on from that. No real ruck consistency or faith in English. He's a disappointment for mine. Too often, look, he's had good games, but he is prone to being absolutely taken to the cleaners, and that's not good enough for a number one ruckman and a premiership aspirant. And as for the backline, well, they tried Shaky three or four weeks ago. I think that showed a level of desperation that says, yeah, look, Keith has been good and Cordy is a body, but we are still susceptible. Maybe Essendon don't have the tools up there to exploit that, and maybe they do. When Draper goes forward, he can be dangerous as well. I love the way the Essendon midfield has had buy-in from not just Parrish and Merrick, but all the players who run through there. But there's one player, Rowan, for me, that epitomises... How Ben Rutten has this team thinking right, playing right, and really doing what the coach wants. And that's Devon Smith. To me, notoriously selfish and hard to shake of bad habits of complaining to umpires and centering more on himself than the team. Boy, is that Devon Smith going around in the last month? He is a genuine team player, dangerous forward, bringing other players into the game with great ball usage and still dangerous around goals. That means that they're listening to the coach. They love the coach. They love playing with each other. And that's the sort of team I like backing in a final. So for me, I'm actually quite bullish about Essendon. Not that I'd say that there's a tip of the week, but boy, the doggies need to really find something to compete at that level. So for me, Essendon, And it's not the margin. It's just the fact that I think they've got their measure by 13 points.
0: Well, I like what I hear, but uh, I am sticking with the big picture view here. I think the psychology determines this. Can the Bulldogs wipe the slate clean and start again? They've had experience in this themselves a couple of years ago. They smashed GWS in a late season game and then had the tables turned on them by the same opponent in week one of the finals. Um, Look, they've been a really good side this season. I think they've hit some murky waters now, but I still think they're good enough to get out of it. Essendon, in contrast, perhaps, and it's understandable, just might feel that in a sense, having got to the eight, it's mission accomplished. I certainly don't discount their chances of going further and breaking that uh, shocking 17-year hoodoo. But uh, I think I have to stick with the doggies here. Only narrowly, though, I'm going for the Bulldogs to win by 10 points. All right, that is all for first week finals previewed. But there have been so many terrific elimination and qualifying finals over the years since they first came into existence in 1972 with the arrival of the final five. Why don't we go back in time and revisit a couple of them? Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, so many great games to choose from. Geez, uh, I love the first week of finals. It's so often the highlight of the season, I reckon. And uh, we've seen that proved over and over again. Uh, one, I tried to uh, get... A competing team involved, finey. Uh, Couldn't quite get the exact matchup with a good enough game. But uh, I found this one and I thought, gee, this game doesn't get enough kudos. I'm talking about the 2000 qualifying final between Melbourne and Carlton. Carlton went into this game in second place on the ladder. Melbourne were third, but that was deceptive because the Blues were very, very warm favourites. They were terrific in 2000. Won 13 games in a row at one stage and absolutely seen as the major impediment to Essendon winning the flag that year. Essendon, of course, having finished on top, everyone thought uh, it was just a um, fait complete that the Bombers and the Blues would play off for the 2000 and flag. It looked very much like that, about uh, three-quarter time of the qualifying final. Carlton leading the Demons by 21 points in what had been a fairly tame contest. Well, was that about to change? Let's go to the highlights of an absolutely thrilling final quarter.
3: Phoebe Meters in the clear can take it and go. Steve Phoebe's away then, running down towards half forward. They need some marking forwards. Reena's been the best of them. He's a oh, left like footer. Yeah. Here's Green from 20 metres out. <laughs> Just the way he moves. A long way to go, yet. Yeah. <laughs> Melbourne need this goal, and he obliges. Great start for the Demons.
4: So, 40 metres out from goal. There's still a chance Liam Bruce, this time, couldn't take it. Farmer, could he give them something? He's got about a metre of space to work in, Phoebe. Just got the ball where he needed to, and again, it's Green. Vice-captain, have a shot.
3: It's as he gave me for a forward, no one actually puts any pressure on him when the ball comes in.
4: He stands with a margin at 15. And now it's reduced! What a kick from the young Brad Green! Margin is 10 points at the MCG. We've been going six minutes in the last quarter. He goes high looking for Whitnell. Ingerson right there with him. Made the spoil. He's done a great job. Johnson can take it away. He's done a good job since he's come on. Powell, a wobbly one. A tough one to mark. Oh. Great defensive work by Manton. Allen, a handball. Watch out. He just got the handball away. It was great. McKay, well wrapped up. The pressure starting to show. Bruce, Bruce, can he kick a goal? Had to be one way or the other. The ball in the square and in the danger area. Jose! Jose has scored. They are in front.
3: Fisting down towards half forward. Sylvani leads back in the race. Kept his head. Mansfield. Oh. Didn't. Smothered. Ricochets towards Bruce. Silvani again. Comes out to Bruce. He's over the ball. Green. Surrounded. Very slick. Mansfield kicks into a teammate this time. It comes back to Green. He snaps at his fourth. I think he's got it. Four since half
4: time. It's all wrapped up for a moment, but Caporale emerges. Oh, look at this. Hume all on his own. Oh. The world ahead of him, Darren Hume, and he didn't race it. No, he didn't. He finds Lance Whitnell. And Whitnell, who was excellent early until he had Ingerson move on to him, has been quiet since. He's kicked two goals to. That has taken eight marks. Now has the chance to put them back in front.
1: Great vision, Camperale. He's had 24 kicks. Brand vision.
4: So the Blues have responded in the best possible way. Oh, so <laughs> what a quarter. Rittnell's kick three. Carlton back in front at the MCG.
3: The Rocks go at it, Allen and White, still plenty of time. Yeah, Forcing yeah. a passage. Uze inside the centre square. Kicks down towards woods, full forward, going back is Neats. Getting a fist on it down there was Manton in from the side, Mansfield. Loose ball in the pocket, Lee and Chilly! Steps a goal! <laughs> no one back in front. <laughs> one thirty-seven remaining. Oops. Both coaches riding it out now. So much on the line. Schwartz and Allen. Can't win it, Dennis, I'll have to switch play. Knocked out of there by Lioncelli across the goal face, Bruce, an unlikely hero, the rookie, the rookie! Melbourne by nine points! Schwartz, clean possession, dying seconds. Feeds it in looking for Woe Woden, thumped out of there by Fletcher, spills across the back to Manton, wait for the siren, the ball on the outer side. Wait.
2: You're really priming the Demon supporters for a big weekend of finals, aren't you? Because that was a great win by them. Now, we know that the backdrop to that is that 2000 was a bit of a one-horse race. And, you know, the Bombers were by far and away the best team. The prize at the end of it for Melbourne was a spot in a grand final that was, well, it's, uh, it's something they're going to want to erase this year. I just... Did not recall till actually uh, listening to that how good a game Cameron Bruce had, how influential he was, and the fact that he'd come off the rookie list. I mean, you know, I I think uh, a young Brad Green sticks out in people's
0: mind in that last quarter. Cameron Bruce was fantastic, though, wasn't he? He was. uh, Seven-goal final term. Uh, Green set the tone. Bruce really pivotal at the end. What I'd forgotten about it, to, to be honest, was the fact that Carlton actually did kick again. A uh, really nice goal to uh, Hallahan and then one to Whitnell put them back in front. And at this stage, there was only a tick under four minutes left to play. So uh, Melbourne rallying again to kick the last two goals. Uh, I, I was there, obviously, covering it. I remember the crowd noise from the Melbourne supporters. I think that's as loud as I've heard a Melbourne crowd. And all of a sudden, they've gone from being seen as Finals also ran into a preliminary final. Um, It proved to be a fatal wound to the Blues too because uh, after being set up to meet Essendon in a grand final, they got put on the wrong side of the draw. Of course, had to come up against Essendon in a preliminary final and that's where Essendon exacted their revenge for that infamous 1999 defeat. No one talks about the 2000 preliminary final and that's because... The Bombers did a pretty comprehensive number on the Blues that day, and uh, they could thank Melbourne for that huge upset in the first week of the finals. Uh, it was a great game. I really enjoyed revisiting that one. It doesn't get uh, remembered often enough for mine. So that's a qualifying final. finally have you got a memorable elimination final for us? Now, first of all, before Carlton
2: supporters think that um, we've got them in the crosshairs and that we're David Teague, man, it was not easy to find an elimination final that um, had both finalists in it. I couldn't do that. That is this year's finalists. And in fact, I found it pretty hard to get one that uh, had a favourable outcome for any of this year's finalists. You know why, of course, because so many elimination finals result in poor old Essendon getting beaten. Thank so you. we have to. Well, we, we didn't want to send you bombers into the finals with that on your mind. That wouldn't be fair. But I found a cracker. And again, very similar to how Carlton set up in the last quarter against Melbourne. Eight years earlier, of course. I'm, uh, we head to 2008 and we get a final that is once again Brisbane, this time, trying to chase down Carlton, who seem to have the game at their beck and call. Let's pick it up. Here's how a couple of those goals were won back by Brisbane, and then we'll go to the last desperate couple of minutes.
1: metres away from Brisbane's goal. It's Cruiser and Brennan. Beautifully shot by Stevens, Intercepted by Rich. Rich back. Ben- A low one, and Bradshaw can go back, line them up, and put the Lions in front. He has three for the night. What a stalwart he is for his football club. He puts Brisbane in front with just over five minutes left. Oh. The only guy on the team wants it. Oh. Rich, beautiful roving. Daniel Rich kicks it across the face. Bradshaw will get there first, he keeps the football alive. Screws the ball around the corner. Oh, it's a goal! Incredible start from Daniel Bradshaw! This is unbelievable! You know, he looked, he had a quick look to see who can I square it up to, there were no options, he said I've got to go for it, he did. He's kicked five, a big clearance from Daniel Rich, he's come alive in the last five. Done again here with Brown against Cruiser. Judd, couldn't pick it up, Travis Johnston squeezes the kick out, any score will do, and it's a point to Brisbane, they lead by seven. Oh, they've gone mad over a point. That might be the killer. It could be the sealer. Thornton to Scotland. Carlton just have to take risks now. Murphy kicks them forward to the centre line. Simpson in front has done enough. He's got paid back. the mark. On. And they have to move it. He does move it to Fafola. But it hasn't really been the Fevs' night. There hasn't been a rhythm about him or about the build ups and the grief of it all it can get to you it can get to you the Blues within a kick of goal but they're two kicks down Bruiser. it's crowded at the back though and there'll be a ball up surely all the Brisbane players in their defensive half number of players around the ball, Judd's in there He's being held by one arm, can't get boot to ball ball fed out again to Judd snap a goal in fact it was for Vola, it's across the face and we'll have a throw in with Brisbane still in front by 7 what an extraordinary last 20 minutes of this match Carlton led by 28 hands up. up looked home and hosed Walker, he can't get boots to ball. hand goes without it. It's over. An incredible, inspiring victory from the Brisbane Lions. One of their best ever.
0: That was an incredible comeback. And again, I think this one's been forgotten a bit, hasn't it? In fact, it was so good. Just on eight minutes into the last quarter, Carlton still led this game by 28 points. That was when Jonathan Brown popped up with a goal and made it push it back to 22. Ron Hooper kicked one. Brown bobbed up with the second one. That brought it back to about 16 points. And then Daniel Reach. Uh, Of course, reducing the gap to under a kick and then Bradshaw and that last goal finding, what a fantastic goal that was. Uh, You know, when you think about the context on the boundary line, curling a snap over his shoulder, fantastic work by Bradshaw. And uh, he, even at the end, as Carlton attacked desperately literally in the last few seconds, Bradshaw managed to park himself down in the back line to escort a ball out of bounds as well. Incredible. Come back by the Lions. Look, they got cleaned up the following week uh, against the Western Bulldogs. Uh, they were absolutely buzzing after uh, this game. Uh, no one more so than uh, a very prominent Australian finey who was uh, one of the uh, patrons there to see this comeback.
2: Yeah, sort of, people might remember this. Um, Kevin Rudd, bedecked in a Brisbane scarf, instantly became an enormous Lions fan. He was up there, jumping up and down. Um, He's sitting next to Mike Fitzpatrick, of course, a commissioner, but also a Carlton man. And then when the final siren goes, the cameras swing onto our Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, who I'm sure uh, hadn't been to too many Brisbane games previously. And he was singing something. But I'll tell you what, mate, it wasn't the Brisbane club song. Because that was ringing out around the ground and maybe he was singing the French National Anthem because he recognised the tune. But I guess, you know, it's like a photo opportunity, kissing a baby before an election, being seen in
0: the crowd, wearing the
2: winning colours, isn't it, for an Aussie Prime Minister?
0: Uh, Look, it's always a cringeworthy moment when pollies get involved in sport without suitable credentials, regardless of their political affiliation uh, let's all just pray that uh, Scott Morrison doesn't jump on the AFL bandwagon uh, he seems to be pretty rugby league centric although uh, I know there's a lot of NRL faithful finey who uh, are pretty dubious about his credentials even as the Cronulla supporter he professes to be. Keep politicians away from major sporting events we say here at Hodge. Uh, All right, that's the end of this show. It should be a fantastic weekend of footy. This podcast always brought to you proudly by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And we couldn't do do this without the help of our other great sponsors. Finey, could we? I mean, I
2: literally couldn't do it without Andrew's hamburgers because they've fueled me up in the last couple of days. Sure, they're a good bite, Andrews. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for the best burger I have had. And I don't know, I'm biased. Best burger I've had uh, in two years. That's how much I enjoyed it. West Point Properties, I've been enjoying living in one of their homes. Nick Spartel's in the town. Yeah, construction, uh, the numbers have been reduced, but with the skeleton staff, they're still... Plenty of work for those marvellous builders with Eye for Detail. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, everybody at West Point
0: Properties. And thank you also to Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. They deal with more than 15 sports across the world and they sample each event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. Great writing on their site too. Check it out at StatsInsider.com. .com.au. Give them a follow on social media at Stats Insider. Uh, thanks, everyone. You can continue to support us at the support page wherever you're listening to this uh, podcast. Thank you to Acast. Or you can become an official Footyology patron via Patreon. And we have the links for Patreon all over the Footyology website, Footyology.com. Dot au. Check it out. Some great writing this week, both football and non-football. That's it. Good luck to your team if they're playing this week. Uh, enjoy sitting back and relaxing and being able to just watch some good footy if your team isn't involved in finals this year. We'll be back to review it all thoroughly on Sunday evening. But before then, we have Footyology Final Siren, our live stream on both Twitter and Facebook, following Friday night's big final between Port, Adelaide and Geelong. So make sure you tune in for that live on Facebook and Twitter from 10.45pm. Thanks for your company, everyone. We'll catch you later.